produced by Podcast Architects. Hello, I'm Dr. Janet Parrish, Director of the Reynolds & Reynolds Sales Leadership Institute at Texas A&M University. Welcome to Tammy Sales, Making a Difference. Our purpose with this show is to connect relevant academic research to students and to industry. We are excited to provide useful insights for students headed toward careers in professional selling and industry representatives who hire and support them. Please visit mays.tamu.edu sales to learn about our programs. In today's episode, Retaining Business Development Representatives, we will hear from Dr. Andrew Loring, Associate Director of the Sales Leadership Institute, and from Megan Bowling, Senior Sales Development Manager at Gartner, one of our partner companies. Andrew will share insights with us from some of his most recent academic research, and Megan will provide an industry perspective. We're excited to bring you this episode. We know that you will enjoy the discussion. Welcome to TAMU Sales Making a Difference. I'm Ben Wiggins, and I am here this morning with Dr. Andrew Loring and Megan Bowling. How are we doing today, everybody? Wonderful. Doing well. Right. Let's uh, let's get into it. I'd like to hear a little bit, Dr. Loring, about your research, and then I'll be facilitating the conversation between the two of you. So talk to us a little bit about what you've been working on. Sure. So let me first start by saying, as Associate Director of the Reynolds & Reynolds Sales Leadership Institute, we work with a lot of partner companies, and one of those partner companies is Gartner. And one of my former students, Megan Bowling, is here to talk about her perspectives in sales management with employee engagement, which is the research that I've been working on lately. Yes, I'm really excited to, to be here and to speak to this topic. It's one that I've become really passionate about, uh, even after just recently graduating about four years ago uh, and starting out uh, at Gartner. It is something that I felt personally as an associate, and now on the flip side as a manager, it's something that I'm directly able to impact with my own team. So I'm excited to talk through uh, it with you today. Great. One of the things that we're noticing lately is that a lot of our graduates, our sales students, are starting their careers in professional selling roles, specifically inside sales roles, in business development or sales development type positions. And in those roles, there is an enormous amount of turnover. So students begin, and within three, six months, they, they quit. And turnover is quite costly for organizations. And so this research was looking into those factors that lead to a lot of those first-time salespeople, those former students of ours, and why they quit. And we hope to give some insights to sales managers and some of our partner companies to help them retain the wonderful students that they hire. Okay. So, Megan, what... Let's get a little bit of perspective from you on that. Mm -hmm. And we, I know we, we spoke a little bit about this beforehand, but let's, let's dig into some of the insights that you, that you, the two of you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So as I've been reflecting on, on what does employee engagement mean to me, what did it mean to me as an associate, a, a new hire starting out at an organization right after graduating from college? And what does it mean to me now as, as a frontline manager? And I'd say it really it really goes down into three distinct categories. So the first for me personally is an employee's holistic well-being, right? Are, are, are they, uh, you know, mentally well, physically well, environmentally well, uh, emotionally well? Like I think all four of those components really work together to help an employee feel more engaged. The second is a shared sense of purpose. So do they find meaning in what they're doing? Uh, do they find their day-to-day their -day work valuable? 
to themselves, to others, to the broader organization? Are they really impacting in their role? And then lastly, it's personal and professional development. Do they feel invested in by their organization when it comes to the longevity of their career? Do they feel like they have a clear career track to get from point A to point B? Are they learning new things consistently? Um, I really think that if an employee feels invested in by their organization, they are going to really want to invest that back into their organization by feeling engaged. Uh, because as we know, engaged employees are, are going to drive even better business outcomes for the company. Absolutely. To our viewers, don't forget to click like and subscribe and please leave a comment below if you find this content meaningful. Dr. Loring, please go ahead. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things we found is so a lot of companies will survey their employees and ask them about what they like and don't like about their role. And what they're trying to get to is their engagement in the position. And so through this research, interestingly, what people respond to or think of as far as engagement differs from how they actually behave in their role. Mm -hmm. So this study, we did two interviews. And in the first interview, we asked those inside sales reps, those in the business development role, early career, we asked them, hey, what does engagement mean to you? What is engagement? Why would you be engaged? What are those characteristics of an engaged employee? And their responses differed from that of their actual behavior in the role. So they thought they would do something different or they responded to something different than they thought they would. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so why this is problematic is these surveys aren't working. So a manager does one of these surveys, an organization puts one out, and the way their employees respond is in such a way that is not actually affecting their engagement in a positive way. Mm. What were the most striking examples? So the two ways to look at this are the things, the per perception that differed from their behavior, differences, and then those that aligned in similarity. Okay. So the overwhelmingly difference in perception versus behavior was they thought that they like building relationships. They like solving problems for potential prospective customers. But the reality is they just like getting paid. <laughs> they viewed relationship building as a way to get my commission or bonus. Okay. Also, it was another big factor was intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them say that they're intrinsically motivated by helping people. Mm -hmm. They want to do good in the world and they want to help other people. But the reality was the incentives and the rewards that the company provided were really what kept them engaged. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that, so not so not just the money was it also I know with sale with around sales there are often trips involved yep. there are often. Um, you know, other like other perks of being the top salesperson. What were there any of those that particularly jumped out, or was it just kind of the whole pot together? All of the above. Okay. So a lot of those accolades, recognition from the manager, sure. recognition from the team that I'm oh. doing good work. Yeah. I, I went above and beyond last week, and the manager called me out, sent an email to the whole team, or addressed that and said, "Good job" to me. Huh. That extrinsic motivation was what led to their engagement more so than the intrinsic, I know I'm doing good work. I don't need that external validation. Right. For our viewers, don't forget to stop by the Reynolds & Reynolds Sales Leadership Institute's website as well, and that is maze.tamu.edu slash sales. Megan, I'd love to get your insights on what Dr. Loring was just talking about in terms of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and specifically relationship forming versus getting that money. Yeah, you know, I, I think at first when he shared that, I was surprised, right? Because that's always something that I hear from my team, especially when I'm 
onboarding new associates. You know, I'm asking them, what motivates you? I actually, um, the way I always frame it is I share a story called uh, The Silver Bicycle. And Mm -hmm. it was about a a CEO that was being recruited by another company. And they offered him all this money. They offered him, you know, know, a lot of different benefits and uh, signing bonuses. And he kept turning them down just left and right. He came into their office one day and on the uh, counter was a magazine of The Silver Bicycle. And the recruiter saw the CEO eyeing the bicycle and he's like, wow, this is amazing. I've always wanted one of these. And the recruiter says, oh, well, if I were to get you that bicycle, would you come work for us? He says, absolutely. So I always tell this story to my team uh, and I say, what is your silver bicycle? Oh. And what I always hear is, oh, you know, like I, I'm really motivated by building relationships, expanding my network. Uh, you know, some people will tell me I'm saving for a house or I want to be able to provide for my family. So that's when you start to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I have had a couple people just tell me flat out I'm motivated by money. That is how I got into sales. But now that, uh, you know, Professor Loring has researched it, that kind of indicates to me, like maybe they're not sharing the full picture just right off the bat. Maybe I can do as, as, as a manager some more probing to find what is that true motivation and is it is it extrinsic here's a here's a question is, is it possible that my, my guess is that what's what's jumping out is that people are leaving jobs because they're not making enough money um and is I'm, I'm wondering how that utility curve kind of changes as we go once you get past sort of a certain what people what people are considering to be like the baseline that they need to hit and does their motivation by does the financial motivation start to change once you're talking about the difference between a grad a recent graduate making you know uh, call it eighty thousand dollars and one hundred sixty thousand dollars or you know three hundred thousand dollars or something like it but if they're making you know thirty five thousand dollars because they're not hitting their commissions or whatever it is obviously that's a very different story mm-hmm. so uh, is there any information yet or is that kind of where the research is going in terms of what the what that overall utility curve looks like does that question make sense yeah so there's a couple things there that we can unpack Money isn't the number one reason why these early career inside sales representatives are leaving. Oh, okay. It's just what motivates them in their role. I see. Money money will come, and what is valuable is those conversations between a manager and organization and those employees that outline the expectations and career development of what they can expect over time. Mm -hmm. And companies that do a better job of clearly explaining what to expect in the role, when you'll be promoted, how you can earn incentives and make more money, employees tend to stay. Hmm. Then what about management itself? Yeah. What what is the how does we we talked about the manager trying to get the information in terms yeah. of what motivates people but what about the yeah. behavior of that manager? Yeah. So in those two interviews, when asked their perception of an engaged employee versus the behavior, the overwhelmingly thing that was the exact same in both was the frontline sales manager Okay. in the importance of the manager. So what that means is if you ask an employee, an inside sales representatives, what leads to your engagement, they're going to say the manager, and that also manifests in their behaviors. Okay. So they shared stories of good managers and bad managers. Hmm. The good managers kept them at the organization, hmm. whereas the bad managers drove them away quickly. Hmm. And what were the hallmarks of good management behavior versus not so good management behavior? So the two most common characteristics are empathy and a commitment to employee development. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
was there a distinguishment between professional development versus personal development or equal time yeah. committed to both? Like what were their thoughts on, because some managers I could see would be really good at developing people professionally, but not so good at yeah. developing them personally. Yeah. So we're talking about Gen Z right now and Gen Z for the next eight years will be entering the workforce and Gen Z cares about managers. They want managers who are there to develop them both personally and professionally. So not only how can I help you be a better inside sales representative, but also what are your hobbies? What are you interested in getting better at personally? And how can I contribute to that development? Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think too, when you think about personal professional development with professional development also just naturally comes personal development, right? Hmm. Uh, I think, you know, when I first started out at Gartner, I lacked confidence. I hmm. lacked self-esteem. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. If you think about it, I was working our clientele is C-level executives. So here I was fresh out of college mm -hmm. dialing, you know, chief retail banking officers at Wells Fargo or, or something. And um, that, that was a lot for me to try and like build the confidence with. And so through my professional life, I really built up that executive presence and powerful communications. And that's carried with me into my personal life as well, right? And how I communicate with friends, with family. So I think that it's just a, a natural uh, there's a lot of translation that happens in between the two. Can I ask what the watershed moments were for you? What were the <laughs> what were the moments where you felt, wait a second, I'm doing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it probably was in my very first review and plan conversation with my manager, which is uh, usually at Gartner, we have these monthly, think of it as feedback delivery sessions, um, but it's also an opportunity for associates to self-reflect on their strengths and their development areas, because I truly think that the, the, the strongest managers, they're not just sharing, you know, their viewpoint, they're also gathering the viewpoint of the associate. And, and you know, I want you to self-reflect. I want you to tell me where you need the help. Mm. It's all about empowering them. And I think that is also a big driver of employee engagement. Employees don't want to feel micromanaged, right? Even with their own development, they want to feel that they have a say as well. Um, so I remember my very first, uh, conversation of that nature with my manager, hearing that direct feedback, and then also getting to reflect on, wait, you know, I need to give myself more credit. I, I you know, I, I exceeded my, my monthly quota. I built all of these different stakeholder relationships. I'm receiving positive feedback from the people that I work closely with. And so I think it's just, you know, realizing, okay, maybe I'm being a little hard on myself and that uh, I, I deserve a seat at this table. And the work that I'm doing is, is not only driving success, but it also is empowering me and, and helping me feel that my work has that meaning. And managers have such a profound effect on those frontline early career salespeople who have this imposter syndrome, who don't know what they're doing. And those managers who truly pour into those sales reps, those sales reps stay. And through this study, what we found is that sales reps who have great managers will often follow that manager to another organization. Mm. But if they have a bad manager, they'll leave quickly. Yeah. I think that um, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, one thing that I've always really worked to do is increase the psychological safety of the yeah. associates on my team. And so what I mean by that, it's, it's you know, feeling like you uh, are, are protected in your job status, but also feeling that you can 
share how you're really feeling about your job that uh you know you feel that empathy from your manager like you mentioned that is being one of the the biggest traits that associates want to see uh but they they want to feel like they can really just be themselves and their manager can take on more of that mentorship role um and so i think with that comes the the feedback delivery right as being so important to the frontline manager's role there um is actually a concept that i heard in a ted talk it was a ceo coach who shared the importance of radical candor mm-hmm. and so basically what radical candor is it's a it's a way of delivering effective feedback where you are perfectly at the intersection of caring personally about an associate while also challenging them directly hmm. um if you you know kind of err on the you know caring too personally without challenging them directly you fall more into the ruinous empathy bucket yeah. which is almost you know you're being too empathetic that you're not pushing them yeah. out of their comfort ruinous zone empathy. ruinous <laughs> empathy yeah um because they're not they're not learning they're not developing they're not growing from that constructive feedback. So that's what employees really want. They they want that feedback so that they can grow from it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, career pathing is also huge. And that's what employees want from their management as well. Tell me how I can get to this next role. What are those skills that I need to develop? Uh, I have these conversations monthly with my team members when they come into this inside sales role. They want to get to an account executive position or a business development manager role or my role, a sales development manager. They really want that clear cut path and understanding, uh, you know, how, how can I get there? Uh, I like to create individual development plans with my team so that they see these are the areas of opportunity that I have. These are the milestones and action items that I need to complete in order to get there. And a lot of employees felt stuck in that business development role or sales development role. And that's what led to them quitting. Mm -hmm. It was a cycle of every day I'm coming in, I'm making my phone calls, I'm not receiving feedback, I'm not being developed. And when is this going to end? And there was no end in sight. And that's what led to their disengagement. Mm-hmm. Andrew, I want to retouch on something you've said in a previous conversation. The uh, The idea of empowerment has has been a big theme that we've discussed here, but you also have talked about the balance between that and clear expectations. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, so right now we're looking at Gen Z, so Generation Z. And Gen Z wants a lot of autonomy in their role. And this is autonomy of both their schedule and how they sell. Okay. So autonomy of their schedule and how they sell. But equally, they want clear expectations. So it's a very hard line for organizations to follow because, well, you want us to micromanage you, in other words, give you the clear expectations, but also give you the freedom and flexibility to work when you want, where you want, how you want. Yeah. And so it's a challenge to meet those needs of Gen Z currently. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about this demographic of Gen Zs, like they went through the pandemic, they were in college, right? They had to get really used to working in a, in a hybrid, even fully virtual space. And so they, they were kind of used to setting their own routine and setting their own schedules. And um, it's a really big transition, you know, coming into the workforce after graduating college. I mean, we all, we all went through that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, a big cause of it, though. They've gone through a lot of change and they've been forced to be so agile but i think with that there's come a lot of ownership of their day of their routines and so i think that's a big you know reason 
why yeah. they feel in that the, way. In the financial crisis. So looking mm-hmm. back to 2008, mm-hmm. Gen Z were young. They saw their parents get laid off from positions. They had to downsize homes. They had to cut their vacations. And so what that has resulted in is today, Gen Z is they want those clear expectations. They don't want to walk into work on a Friday and say, hey, you're fired. Yeah. Right. And so they want to know what's expected of them every day. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic added to that. Psychological safety. Correct. I think it, it all boils down to that. Yeah. What is the best way that an employer can put measures for psychological safety in place? I mean, aside from telling people, hey, it's always a priority for us to have a cushion so that we don't have to, you know, we don't have to lay people off, things mm-hmm. like that. I, I guess making those sorts yeah. of initiatives clear, but what else can, what else can a company do? Yeah. It's a lot about clear communication. Okay. Absolutely. And over and over, I heard stories from these former students, these salespeople who said the organization did not clearly communicate the expectations or anything that was going on. Hmm. And this research happened through the pandemic. So yeah. this was all of the employees that I interviewed began their careers working in the office and then the office was shuttered because of the pandemic. So they were working at home at this time. Yeah. And a lot of change was happening. And a lot of them were fearful of what was going to happen. Is my job going to be here next week? And the organizations that kept those employees up to date on everything that was going on in the organization hmm. kept them engaged. Mm-hmm. I think also just to follow up on that, never underestimate the power of vulnerability. Hmm. Uh, I, when I first stepped into the manager role, it was, it was almost hard for me to show my, my true self because I went from peer to manager. I had recently graduated this program. I was 23, 24, managing a team of, of recent college graduates. And so I feel like I always had to be on. I, you know, I, I had to be the manager. I had to be professional. I put my manager cap on. It wasn't until I was a couple months in seat that I realized I could really get through to my associates if I took that manager cap off and and could just be someone that they could relate to and be someone that they could share how they were truly feeling with. Hmm. Uh, one thing that I'll, I'll do with my team very often is just have mental check-ins. Like, how are you doing? How, how, how is it going in, in your personal life? Like, how are you feeling today? Uh, what's something that you're proud of this week? I think that's also a really good way to, to motivate them and just create that, that safe space and an environment to which they feel they can openly share those things. We're talking about engagement. So what that makes me wonder about is what does the opposite of that look like? What does a disengaged employee look like? And what, a, and what are the implications of disengaged employees? Yeah, as you can imagine, a disengaged employee is not good for themselves or an organization. And right. we've been talking a lot about turnover. And a disengaged employee is more than likely going to turn over. But the impact, so the negative impact, is what they do while they're still there while disengaged. Okay. So for every one disengaged employee, it takes four engaged employees to make up for that person. Wow. If it were purely a financial decision, it would be better off for an organization to pay someone who's actively disengaged to stay home than to come to work to spread the toxicity to Mm -hmm. other engaged employees. And if you've ever worked a job before and you've had someone that shows up and say, hey, man, this place is awful. I hate it here. Our manager's completely terrible. Don't you agree? And that toxicity tends to spread to other employees who may have been on the fence about whether they're engaged, but now they're suddenly thinking the same things. Hmm. Mm. And I think to go off that point in spotting the signs of a disengaged employee is also very critical. 
right? So a lot of times it'll be someone who, you know, used to pay high attention to detail. And now you notice a lot of things are starting to slip through the cracks. I think underperformance Hmm. obviously is a key indicator of someone who is disengaged. Um, What I see a lot from my engaged employees is they're really great at time management. So Hmm. these individuals are you know, completing their work, they're offline by 5 p.m., walking their dog in the park or getting a drink at happy hour, right? Yeah. Um, but the disengaged employees, those are the ones that are, are really struggling to find the motivation to, to get their work done during the day. So those might actually be the people that you see online late at night, like maybe trying to just slowly get by. Um, uh-huh. So I think that's something that we don't always think about. Like we would think the disengaged people are offline all the time, which yes, like in part, like you may see their little team status turn from green to yellow. <laughs> Um, but I think that's one thing that I've seen is, is time management really starts to lack, uh, once an employee feels disengaged. So what was interesting is one of the benefits to sales managers based on the research that we did is you can see the behaviors in engaged employees. So if you're a frontline manager and you're listening to this podcast, some behaviors that you can listen to. So the number one overwhelmingly behavior that it's an engaged employee is making extra calls. Mm -hmm. Obviously in that sales development, business development role, you're on the phone a lot. And so an employee that makes those extra calls is more than likely engaged. However, there is an asterisk here. In the case where the manager was underperforming, was not good, they were creating fear in these inside sales representatives. So instead of making extra calls because of engagement, they were actually making extra calls because of the fear that they'd lose their job. Mm-hmm. So making extra calls is only good if they've got the support and development from that frontline manager. What is the fastest way to measure whether they, I mean, I know a lot of this is multifaceted, but but if you're if you're an executive looking at the manager, what is the fastest way to get a sense of how well that manager is um, is engaging with their sure. frontline employees? Surveying those frontline salespeople, okay. those business development, and asking them how empathetic is your manager. Oh, asking them how has your manager developed you in the last week or two weeks? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in addition to making extra calls, a couple of the other behaviors that you can look for are peer collaboration. So engaged employees go out of their way to collaborate with their peers. I know we're in this hybrid environment of work and more than likely hybrid is going to stay for the extended future. So having the employees, the ability to come into the office one or two days a week to collaborate with their peers is incredibly important to their engagement. Mm-hmm. It's been a game changer for Gartner. Uh, and my team personally. So we started coming in uh, for moments that matter, right? So typically it's it's uh, one day a week on Thursdays, my entire team is in the office. We have our team meeting in person, which uh, you know it's something that we used to take for granted, but getting to see all of your colleagues in one room, collaborating, sharing best practices, it's it's unmatched. And yeah. I also feel that the you know relationships that you make virtually while strong, you almost have this barrier that you don't even realize is there until you meet them in person mm. and you can communicate. And so that's been the same, not only for relationships with my team, but also relationships with my directors, our VPs, our SVPs at Gartner, who also come into the office to to network and to meet the associates on our team. Um, so yes, I, I definitely am a big proponent of coming back into the office because the, the value has just been, it's been mm-hmm. fantastic. And then the third biggest thing is 
employees who are engaged seek out continued development opportunities for them mm. from their manager. Mm. So they go out of their way to say, hey, you know, my frontline manager, can you help me? I know we have our regularly scheduled calls, but am I reaching out after hours or during the day and say, hey, can you critique the way I'm sending this email or yeah. my script for this call or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions to hear from someone is, "How can I be better?" And that, and so that's a question I try to ask my, uh, I try, I try to ask others regularly, like, "How how can I do a better job? How can I be better for you?" Yeah. And also in general, um, and that's, I I I think the way that that question is phrased feels very, it feels very modern. Like it's not just a, "How can I do my job better? Um, how can I help you?" And really, the 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 passive aggressive version of it is, "How can I help you be better?" Mm-hmm. Um, but but really, it's just the like, "How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better person?" Yeah. You know, and and really and really welcoming that feedback, even when it's hard to hear, because sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that the most engaged associates are going to really have that desire to own their own development, yeah, right? Exactly. And we've talked a lot about the importance of a manager coming in and providing the direction, but yep. the the engaged associates, they're going to meet us halfway. Absolutely. They're going to come to us and, and share their self-reflected strengths and areas of opportunity. They're going to ask for a manager's help. Yep. And so I think that's something for, for managers to really be on the lookout for, right, of, of who's coming to me, who is uh, – who's really taking full ownership of their personal professional development. Love what you're saying about ownership. I'm going to do a brief plug for one of my favorite core values, which mm-hmm. is founder mentality. We mm-hmm. talk about it in our, our company all the time. Naval Ravikant's words on this are, people with founder mentality can't rest once a problem or opportunity is identified. They uh, they take on personal responsibility without complaint, learn and recruit new skills as needed, and deliver results despite politics. And then he finishes by saying, there is unlimited global demand for founder mentality. And that sort of ownership and sort of taking it on and saying, I'll go figure it out. I don't know the answer, but I will go find it. That's one of my favorite things to hear as a leader. Absolutely. So for our viewers, please, again, don't forget to click like and subscribe. Please leave a comment below if you find the content compelling. And thank you, Dr. Loring. Thank you, Megan. We really appreciate your time in launching this uh, this new venture for Tamu Sales, making a difference. Thanks to both of you. Absolutely. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Here's some of our top takeaways. For students, first, if you're offered a job, ask to meet the person who would be managing you. Research indicates that a tremendous amount of your job satisfaction will hinge on that relationship and on that person's capacity to lead you. Second, give some thought to your silver bicycle. Do you have one? Is there one thing that stands out above everything else in terms of your compensation or perks? If so, communicate clearly. Be reasonable, of course. Don't expect employers to read your mind. Third, don't underestimate the power of vulnerability. It is okay to be honest when you're concerned or you don't have the answer, even as a newer hire. It's a brave new world, one where even really talented people admit they don't always have the answers. For business leaders, research has demonstrated that surveys are not always the most effective way to measure a person's motivation. Salespeople cannot always correctly answer questions about what will motivate them. Most tend to understate the value of compensation to them. However, perhaps not surprisingly, surveying is more reliable when an employee is talking about someone else, such as their manager. Second, companies that more clearly explain their vision for the future and expectations around incentives, personal development, and so on, 
tend to have significantly better retention, which is always the goal. Third, it is vital for companies to understand the characteristics of engaged and disengaged employees, and it's especially important to deal with disengagement quickly and decisively to prevent the potentially massive negative impact it can have on the team. As Dr. Loring noted, it can take the efforts of four fully engaged employees to offset the drawbacks of a single disengaged employee. It is vitally important to keep an eye on engagement. Here are a few other quick key observations. Money is an important motivator, but it's not why salespeople are leaving. What's driving departures is usually the manager's lack of empathy and lack of commitment to development. And finally, a couple of points about Gen Z workers. Psychological safety, autonomy, and clear expectations are particularly important to this generation. Radical candor, the intersection of caring personally and challenging directly, is a powerful tool that can create a very positive environment for Gen Z employees to flourish. Please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to stay connected. On behalf of Texas A&M's Reynolds & Reynolds Sales Leadership Institute, I'm Dr. Janet Parrish. Thank you again for tuning in. Produced by Podcast Architects.